Good morning, church. This is not where I normally stand, so it's a little strange for me. I normally have a guitar or something and standing somewhere back there. Uh, my name is Kyle, if you don't know me, and uh, I grew up as a pastor's kid, and my dad was always the one preaching all the sermons, so it feels a little weird um, for me right now, but we'll get over that. Um, a few weeks ago, Paul asked me to give a talk about worship, and we didn't really know what that looked like yet, uh, but I just kind of dug into a journey of searching some questions. Um, what is worship? Why do we worship? And what are we doing correct in our worship? What are we, you know, completely off in our worship? And um, just in all of that, just kind of seeking and, and getting an understanding of God and how we should respond um, to who he is and, and everything that he's done for us. And so um, I have a little bit more direction now of what I want to talk to you about um, through that searching. And and God's just showing me some really cool things that I'm excited to share with you. And I know um, that as long as I preach some scripture, um, that it definitely has the impact um, on you guys. So um, before we dig in too deep, um, I'm going to start out with a confession. Um, I am from Iowa. And that might seem like the confession to some of you. And it probably um, deals a blow to my credibility as my wife sometimes likes to point out that Iowa stands for idiots out walking around can or cannot confirm, um, but that's not my real confession. The real confession has more to do with football. I grew up playing football and enjoyed it a lot. I played, um, from fifth grade, I played tackle football up until my sophomore year when I wasn't getting enough playing time, so I quit. Um, but I really liked football, and I, and I played a lot of video games and football, and I just felt like, you know, all the pieces were there, except uh, when it came to the NFL and, like, having a favorite team, there was a major hurdle um, that I had to overcome, and... Uh, um, the problem was, in Iowa, they don't have an NFL football team. And so um, that was um, a struggle for me to, to decide, you know, what's my favorite team? And so um, I was always just kind of following whatever team was winning the most in recent years. And you can understand probably why Vikings weren't my favorite team at the time. <laughs> just kidding. No, that's not true. Actually, I had nothing against the Vikings then, and um, after I met my wife... Um, I became a Vikings fan very quickly because I, I realized that it was probably a deal breaker for her. So, um, the only problem is after a few years down the road of being a Vikings fan, it's still a struggle to be like authentic for me. And sometimes I, sometimes I find myself making comments during a game that are that are um, for a reaction from everyone else, and it's more fun for me to get that reaction than watch the game. So, I, I'm working on my authenticity. Um, so it's not a perfect analogy, uh, but all of this feels very relatable to me, um, to the struggles we can face when we worship God, and, um, and to an outsider, someone who feels distant from God, or just they never knew God or how much he loved him. There's not really a reason uh, for them to worship God. It's pretty unnatural, um, but, um, but we're not outsiders, and, and God bridged the gap through Jesus, and he paid the price for us, and we're not in some distant state from God. And so we don't have an excuse like somebody from Iowa um, picking an NFL team. Um, God has knocked on all of our doors personally, and he's asking us to be intimate with him. And as Paul has talked about in this series so far, um, we have that opportunity to truly know God and be intimate with him. And um, from that knowledge and intimacy uh, will flow out our worship. And our text this morning comes from the book of John, chapter 4, verses 23 and 24. Uh, Jesus has been talking with a Samaritan woman at the well um, who has asked a question about worship. And in his answer to her, her question, 
um, is this statement that we need to look at. So on the slide, it says, a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers that the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. Uh, let's dig into this text this morning, um, but first let's pray together. God, I just ask that you would open our eyes to see wonderful things in your word. I ask that you would um, just soften our hearts to receive whatever you're speaking to us this morning. I pray that uh, my own thoughts and words would be filtered through truth and love, and I pray that that would be what people hear this morning. I pray that our worship would be authentic. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So if we look at John chapter 4, verse 23, that second part, or the first part, um, we can see that God is seeking true worshipers. So we need to know what it means to be a true worshiper. So what is true worship? In my journey exploring this, one of my main sources was Louis Giglio's book called The Air I Breathe, and this is a pretty easy to read book outlining worship as a way of life. And in this book, he defines worship simply as our response to what we value most. And um, the word worship is simply derived from the old English word, worship. I have it showing on the screen to show you it's pretty basic. Uh, and the meaning is to show something's worth. Um, so it's, pretty, it's a pretty simple concept to understand. And if we focus on Giglio's definition, it says, Worship, our, our response to what we value most, that's a pretty broad spectrum of things. It's not just, um, wow, that's amazing, and it ends there, right? That's not the only part of our response. Our response to something that we truly value most impacts basically our whole way of life. And, and I'll just give you an example, going back to the Vikings. Do you know any diehard Vikings fans? Someone that schedules their life around all their games, and they probably lose in fantasy football just because they want to have all their favorite players on their roster in instead of the right ones. Um, they probably bought season tickets and they're at all these games and, and their response outwardly is, is very emphatic whenever there's a, um, you know, a historic moment or just a, an impressive victorious play. They're jumping and screaming in their seats, right? Or out of their seats. Um, and uh, I think that's a great way to to relate to how God has designed us to worship him. And hopefully that person that you know is more devoted to God than they are to the Vikings. But um, for us personally, we can focus on ourselves. Uh, when we're living in intimacy with God, as we've been talking about through this whole series, if we're living in intimacy with God and we're constantly reminded by his goodness and what he's done for us and allowing our lives to be wholly impacted, then our then our uh, natural response will just be an outflow of worship. Um, so our whole life response to God for who he is and what he's done for us is our true worship, like we're talking about in that John chapter 4. Uh, one of the scriptures that gives us a, gr a great description of worship in general is Hebrews 13, verses 15 through 16. So let's look at that. It says, through him, or through Jesus, if you have the context, then let us continually Offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name, and do not neglect, neglect um, sorry, do not neglect to do good, and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. So in both verse 15 and 16, it, we see the word sacrifice, and this is tying a connection to the Old Testament sacrifices. It was the center of their worship. They were demonstrating their value for who God is by giving up 
a valuable offering, a bull or a lamb, and, and sacrificing it. And um, God accepted their loss as a pleasing sacrifice to himself. Um, so this first pleasing sacrifice that we read is in the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name, it says. And this is the kind of worship that comes out of our mouth, um, obviously. Uh, this is the kind of worship that happens frequently in our worship service, where they're singing and praying and reading the scripture out loud to each other. Um, but there's a second type of sacrifice that's pleasing to God. And it's in verse 16, it says, the deeds of doing good and sharing what we have. And I think that second part is a little more removed from our church culture of what we normally think of as worship. We kind of tend to think of worship as more like the music part or expressing, um, but it's also in um, our deeds and the way we live. Um, so just kind of relate this. I think about my relationship with my wife, Emily, and she loves it when I tell her um, good words, when I tell her how much I love her or how beautiful she is. Um, but if that's all I did every day and there wasn't really actions to back it up, it wouldn't really go that far. And so um, that's true for God as well. He doesn't just want our words. He wants both our words and our deeds. And so that's a very significant part of what our worship is and as true worshipers. Um, another part of this is that God, is, God doesn't just want our worship on a Sunday morning. He wants it through our whole week. And Romans 12, 1 is a, probably a familiar verse to you, but let's read it together. It says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. We have true worship in here again. For Paul and for many others, Paul who wrote this, offering his body as a living sacrifice was literally dying for, for the sake of Christ. And uh, we don't live under that same pressure in the United States. We have a lot more freedom and flexibility to worship God. Um, but, but dying or offering our bodies as living sacrifice does mean daily dying to ourselves. And that's a, a big sacrifice. It's, it's a hard thing to make these, to give up these decisions and give them to God. And, and that's what God is asking for us to do. We're going to have to surrender those decisions in our days that are going to be difficult for us. And all of, basically all of the ways in which God has asked us to love others and love him in the whole Bible, that's essentially um, what this living sacrifice looks like. So it's a, it's a challenging thing. And another one of these challenges is that the kind of worship that God wants isn't just what our actions show on the outside or even what our lips say. It's also what's in our hearts. It's very easy for us to you know, put on the church look and, and just put on a front, and it's just fake. And for some reason, we just love to, to look and feel spiritual in front of others or even just for our own selves. We can pray wordy prayers or sing loud or give generously or read our Bible in long chunks. Um, but that can all just be a bunch of noise to God. And uh, when we come to worship on a Sunday morning, our worship isn't just singing songs of praise or clapping our hands. Uh, those are good things but it can be very easy to do those without even worshiping. And it happens in myself even more than it should. So our heart has to be worshiping. Jesus made this distinction between our outward appearance and what's really going on in our hearts when he called out some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law. In Matthew 15, 8, he said, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. I don't know about you, but I don't want Jesus to be saying to me, your heart is far from me. Worship has to start in our hearts and be authentic. And out of that will flow a response that displays his worth and honors him. So how do we make sure 
that our worship is from our heart. Uh, it's not really about our effort. Uh, this is kind of where the sermon title comes from. Worship is a reflex. Uh, to some of you, that's a, re- a relief, and to some of you, it's a frustration. Those control freaks out there that want to kind of earn their way. Um, but it actually starts with God. God initiates our worship. He invites us, and then we respond. And so we can't really do it on our own. We just have to know him better. As we know him, it's going to naturally come as a reflex. And that's what Jesus is referring to when he says, true worshipers worship in truth in John 4. So if we know God more intimately, fully, and truly, we won't have to do anything out of effort to value him or respond to his value. It will be so utterly natural for us and we'll finally be able to respond in worship to the true God, not just some false depiction of what we imagine God to be, but the true God. That's what that truth piece is. My daughter, Kinley, is a pretty amazing experience for me to watch, and there's some just kind of crazy ways that God has made you know, our human bodies miraculous from, from birth, like the automatic response of you know, within seconds, she knows how to breathe, and she's able to just breathe, and her lungs are working, and just five weeks um, in the womb, her heart is already pumping, and 12 weeks in the womb, her brain is already sending out reflexes. Um, and as I've gotten to know Kinley over the last 11 months, one of the reflexes I'm most familiar with is her crying. I'm not sure, I think that was her right there. <laughs> she cries when she's hungry, tired, bored, lonely, and it's just a completely natural response to her circumstances. And our worship is like Kinley's crying in one way, and it's not like it in another way. Um, our worship is a reflex, like a baby crying. It's a completely natural response to God for who he is and what he's done for us. But how it differs is that our worship isn't just a response to our circumstances or the things that we're feeling. If you're in a slump financially and you or maybe your wife took out the car on a slippery road and just crashed it, well, you're not in a very happy circumstance. Or if your name is Paul or Silas and you've just been preaching the good news of of Jesus to to the world and they throw you in prison, your, your circumstance isn't a very happy one either. But our circumstances don't limit our worship. Paul and Silas, by human reason, should have every reason to be pouting and depressed in prison. But instead, the Bible says they were praying and singing praises to God. Why were they doing that? Because their knowledge and understanding of God's goodness and who he is transcended their circumstances. And that has to be true for us as well. Our circumstances cannot be the thing that informs our worship. We have to be, we have to be so intimate with God that our knowledge of him is even more real and important to us than anything that's going on around us, whether that's good or bad. Michael Lang is a worship artist who wrote this. When we understand the greatness of God, the stability of his character, the perfection of his justice, the depth of his grace, the limitless nature of his love, the wonder of his holiness, and the sacrifice of his son, it should not be difficult for us to be moved greatly in our desire to worship God and worship him passionately. Think about the glimpse of essentially perfect worship in Revelation 4, where there are heavenly beings who know exactly how great God is. Their response looks like this. It's Revelation 4, verse 8 through 11, if you want to follow along. 
It says, they do not rest day or night, saying, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. In verse 9, whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, you are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. And just contrasting that picture to what it feels like for me to worship, it reminds me of a passage in 1 Corinthians, I think it's chapter 13, it says, now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. The reason our worship doesn't look exactly like those angels and heavenly beings that are, that are completely in awe of God is because we just don't know God fully the way that we will when, when it's complete, when we know him fully. Um, but before we're dead, uh, we can still know him more and more. And as we do seek him, our lives will be so much more complete and meaningful. When we worship God, it doesn't just benefit God. It really benefits us probably the most. C.S. Lewis wrote this. The most obvious fact about praise, whether of God or anything, strangely escaped me. I thought of it in terms of compliment, approval, or the giving of honor. I had never noticed that all enjoyment spontaneously overflows into praise unless... Shyness or the fear of boring others is deliberately brought, on, brought in to check it. Here's the part that I want to focus on. I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. It is its appointed consummation. So when we worship God, it's not just an expression, but it allows that expression to be completed and that enjoyment to be completed. It brings a fullness of life to us that Jesus promised us. And without it, we are simply not complete. Worshiping God with all our lives isn't just a tax we pay to get to heaven. It is what heaven is all about. And just like worship should be the center of our personal lives, both because God is worthy and it completes us, it's also the center of the body of Christ corporately, and it's fundamental to building each other up and sustaining the body the way that God wants it to be sustained. Did you notice that in the Revelation passage that the worship of the living creatures, whatever those creatures were, actually causes a cascade effect? I'm gonna revisit it. Revelation 4, verse 9. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever and cast their crowns before the, the throne. This is so key. We aren't just worshiping God for ourselves. We are worshiping to build each other up as well. The fruit of our lips that acknowledge his name causes change in everyone around us. I think there's a part of this design that God designed that can be a struggle for us, and maybe even specifically at Chapel Hill. Um, it feels like we can be sometimes hesitant to be outwardly expressive because we don't want to feel fake. Maybe we don't want to lift our hands or dance or sing too loud because you don't know what other people will think about you. Maybe you're afraid um, that they'll be bothered 
by your behavior or they'll see your expressions as fake um, and the worship is like drawing your attention to yourself. Um, but that, the part of worship that involves our spirit, if we jump back to John verse 4, it says spirit and in truth. And the spirit peace is an emotional peace. And we can't worship God without feeling those strong emotions. And those strong emotions that require, are required to be connected to God the way he wants us to be express themselves in very outward ways. The Bible doesn't require anyone's worship to be expressed in any specific way. And there are personalities that are just more reserved and introspective, and that's a good thing, and I don't want to take away from that at all. I just don't want us to overlook the impact of our outward expressions on each other. And I certainly, don't want, us to, I certainly want us to feel the freedom to express our emotions emphatically towards God, at least as emphatically as a football fan who just watched the Vikings beat the Bills a couple weeks ago in a crazy ending. I can't imagine too many people that watched that game that they just sat in silence and reflected on it. <laughs> Unless they were a Bills fan, I guess. <laughs> but God is infinitely more worthy of our emphatic expression than anything else here on earth. We just have to continue digging deeper and deeper into knowing him more intimately so the distractions of the world around us become less and less and out from that will flow our worship. Um, I don't know if you remember what COVID felt like. For me, the first year of teaching choir distance was just completely bizarre. It's like I never expected anything to happen that was that much change. And I was teaching from home, and we were minimized our curriculum to be manageable for students working out, at, you know, whatever. And it was a lot less teaching, I'm sure a lot less learning, and it was a lot less time. And so I had hours and hours of flexible time that I just never had before. And I just got excited. I started, you know, putting it towards all the things that I was really passionate about and wanted to do with my time. Um, but it was becoming more and more painstakingly obvious that some of those things didn't really include more intimate time with Jesus. And even comparing it to where I was before when I had, you know, when I had busier life, like I was still more focused on God and and in this extra time, I was proving to myself that I wasn't truly valuing God and worshiping the way I wanted to, just by kind of my laziness or apathetic towards it and really just getting distracted by all these other exciting things that I thought were so great. So when I started realizing that and kind of God was just showing that to me, he just started redirecting me and um, definitely not, not fixed right now. It's, it's something that I always have to go back to and remind myself of this truth of, of he's always worth more of my time than what I'm probably giving him. Um, but I wrote a song out of it, and this song has been very helpful for me, and I, I would love to share it with you. It's called Distractions, and it's hopefully very applicable to this sermon this morning. Oh, these two 
distractions and I'm tired of holding the mire that you I have decided there's nothing here for me to fix my eyes fix my eyes on you cause knowing you is everything So if we can just get this 
peace right, if we can get our distractions out of the way, if we can worship God with our full emotion, spirit, everything inside us, in truth, knowing the God we worship, if we know him intimately, that's going to come naturally and it's going to impact us greatly. It's going to fill us and complete us. It's going to be pleasing to God and it's going to bring new life on a Sunday morning. If we can come to worship on a Sunday morning, not just stale, but already worshiping throughout our week, we're going to have literally heaven come to earth on Sunday mornings. And that's what I want for us. So my action step for you this morning is to just remind yourself as often as you can this week that God is good. And whenever that thought comes to mind, tell yourself God is good and come up with a reason why and let that reminder of God's goodness just impact you and let your whole life um, naturally flow, worship from that, from that knowledge, from that intimacy with God. So would you bow your heads, bow your heads with me? God, we just thank you for everything about who you are. Everything that we don't know, everything that we do know, you are so good, God. So good to us in so many ways. Um, even if it doesn't feel like it right now, we know that you paid the price for us on the cross and that's the ultimate gift. If nothing else is good enough for us to worship you, help that to be good enough. Be in our distractions this week to remove them to remind us of you, focus our hearts on you, bring us the fullness of life that we desire, but more importantly, help us to worship you in a way that impacts the world around us and points more people to you so they can worship you. God, we give you everything, we give you this week. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.